0: indeed thankful to be here this morning and we do ask a continued interest in your prayers as we stand before you uh, once again. Uh <clears throat> at this time our intent is to kind of close out the message or the series of messages uh that we've been speaking on concerning a proper biblical perspective of uh men in the old testament and then last week of course we did reference to made reference to the apostle Paul uh one New Testament character. The intent that we started with really was, was a message many weeks ago that we entitled In the End and At the Last. Uh, because God is the only one who is able to declare the end from the beginning. He is the only one who's able to tell you how something is going to end before it even gets started. And, and the fact that He can see history as a whole Uh, enables him and allows him to make every step and every decision to be the right step and the right decision. There's never a chance of error. There's never a chance of mistake. There's never anything that God has ever done with the saying of, oops, I shouldn't have done that. There's also nothing God has ever done as sort of a plan B, we might say. That he initially had one plan in mind, but it kind of got thwarted a little bit, and he had to result in plan B. Now you say, well, surely everybody believes that. No, everybody does not believe that. And I'll give you an example. It is taught in the religious world around us that when Jesus came the first time, Had the Jews behaved themselves, he would have set up his earthly kingdom at that time. They did not behave themselves. They rejected him as the Messiah. So as sort of a plan B, band-aid, something in the meanwhile, he established the church. And the church is kind of here until he comes back the second time to set up his earthly kingdom. The only problem with that is the church was his... uh, go all along. When he came and he established the church with John the Baptist and moving forward, that was his intent. The church is not a mistake. It is not a band-aid. It is not something for us to do in the meantime till he comes a second time. And I think that's where you come that that's how you run along with a lot of the errors that come along nowadays is people don't see the church that important. It's just sort of how we make it until He comes back, and then He'll do the right thing. No, from the beginning, He's the only one able to declare the end. The Bible itself also is written from that perspective when it comes, like we've been looking at, with the issue of sin. The Bible is really the only book that will tell you how something will end up rather than how something starts. So when Solomon writes in Proverbs concerning the use of alcohol, he says, at the last it biteth like a serpent. In the world around us, we don't see how it's going to be at the last. The commercials on TV show us what it's like to start with, how fun it is to start with, how how much Uh, attention you get to start with, how funny you are, how delightful you are, how many friends you have. We're all out having a good time. They don't show at the last the person having drunk away his inheritance. They don't show the family doing without because he cannot do without or she cannot do without. They don't see the bruises and the broken bones and the black eyes from uh, the violence that, that comes from that. That's why Solomon asks when he addresses this issue. He says, Who hath wounds and bruises without cause? Um, Lots of times when people are intoxicated, there's there's a reason it's called liquid courage. You know, they they get the courage to do things that when they're in a sober mind, they would never have done. And so you wake up the next morning and you have wounds and bruises that didn't need to be there. And you also have wounds and bruises, and you don't know how they got there. And that's something very easy uh, to pinpoint. It's something very easy to shoot at, uh, because oftentimes the effects of that can be seen fairly quickly in somebody's life. It may not may not be overnight, but you know, within many months or maybe a few years, you can see the effects of that taking hold on somebody. And so that is something very, uh, very easy to, to shoot at, but... At the same time, we were discussing this morning, uh, interestingly enough, a number of things you know that people can be addicted to, like caffeine and chocolate and coffee. Y'all all have your coffee this morning. Make sure that uh, uh, no, y'all didn't have your coffee. Whoa, no. But it's interesting how we classify addictions in, in, in life right it's interesting the things that we are against and the things that we are for and the things that we have no idea what we're dealing with somewhere there in the middle uh, and to say that you know it's easy to be it's easy to shoot at somebody addicted to drugs addicted to alcohol in that kind of sin it's very difficult to see somebody who's addicted maybe to work while somebody may be a sober-minded individual, their family may suffer because they are addicted to work. They're a workaholic. Uh, We've all known people, I know people, you've all known people who just absolutely cannot stop working. They can't even go on vacation and stop working. They can't take a moment off and stop working. And that in and of itself is a problem. So it's hard as human beings when you get involved in something to really be able to know how something's going to end. That's why the Bible says that we walk by faith, not by sight. Uh, it, we do our best efforts, or should try to do our best effort in something, to put forth our, our best foot, but God Himself doesn't need faith. He has perfect sight. He has perfect knowledge, perfect understanding. And so that was the purpose in looking at some of these men in the Old Testament Uh, As good as they were, they could not see where their life was going to end up when they started something. Uh, Adam could not really see where life was going to go when he partook of the forbidden fruit. God had told him that in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. But Adam, never having known death, would not know how this is going to come to pass. And so he erred on the side of error instead of on the side of caution. He did not know how this would be. He did not understand what death was, so He partook of the fruit anyways. All the men that we looked at, Noah, Abraham, Samson, Solomon, David, all of them had an issue in their life. They all had a point in their life where they were faced with something, not knowing how something would come to pass, not knowing... How something within would end and every one of them without fail failed in what they did. And if we're honest, we're all a bit like that. We've all at times past had to shove another skeleton in the closet, close the door and lock it and hope nobody opens it. We've all at some point in our life attempted to do something and it was just a royal mess. And so, the idea then is, if man is that big of a failure, is there any hope for man? And it's a categorical yes. There is hope for man. The hope he has is not in himself. The hope he has is in something else. And that's why we also then looked at the Apostle Paul last week. Why, where Paul did not start out well. We did not start out at a positive point in Paul's life. We started out at a very negative point in Paul's life, a point outside of the grace of God, and then brought us beyond, as we would say, beyond B.C., beyond Christ. We had half of Paul's life that was before Christ, and now we have the Apostle Paul who is beyond Christ, a life that's lived now under the umbrella of God's grace. And all these things we write and we say to bring us to this point. The Apostle John writes to us in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 1. And this will be the text that we want to use this morning. All these things that we have said is summed up in this. My little children, these things write I unto you, that ye sin not. First John two, 1 John 2.1 says, my little children, these things write I unto you, that ye sin not. We understand that we're not just sinners by practice. We understand that we're not just sinners because we reach some mythical age of accountability. We're sinners by nature. That there was something that occurred years ago that's been handed down from generation to generation. My little children, I write unto you that you Sin not. We understand that sin is a part of our nature. That it's something that's going to be carried with us till the day we die. I heard an individual kind of sum up life really well the other day. I, I like listening to philosophers, I like listening to debates. Even if they're debating, even if it's two people debating an issue, and one of them I thoroughly disagree with. If adults can have a a reasonable conversation, I'll have to listen to it. i to listen to what they have to say. Now, I don't watch the news anymore because adults are not debating on the news anymore. Children are yelling at each other on the news. And I can't stand if a person's trying to make a point, whether I agree with it or not, for people to start talking over that person and start talking at that person. The older I get, the less I am able to hear And my wife says, well, you've been old a long time. Very possibly. But the less I'm able to hear multiple people talking at the same time. But a man summed up life the other day, I thought, really well. He said it's it's very easy to be depressed. He was talking about subject depression. He says it's very easy to be depressed because life itself is an end game failure. An end game failure. So somebody like me who grew up in the eighties, uh arcade games were very prominent. They they started to take hold in the eighties, so we could go down to the uh shopping mall and we go down to the little uh arcade place and for a quarter we could play Pac Man or Asteroids or you know, something of that nature. Uh it was a delight to us as a kid to go burn all our parents' money in video games. Um, they were not in the game. Failures. If you achieved enough, if you were good enough in the game, you could actually defeat the game. Now, I didn't win a prize. It's not like you got a special trophy in life. But there was an accomplishment. Even in sports, if you if you perform well enough, there's an end game accomplishment. There's a win. We, My team wins. Yay! And we all cheer and go off and come back next week and we do it all over. But in the game of life it is an in-game failure. It doesn't matter how healthy you are. It doesn't matter how much you have saved. It doesn't matter how well you have treated your body. You in the end are going to die. That's just all there is to it. You can't outrun death. There's been a few times maybe you thought you cheated death. But unless Christ comes back, none of us are going to outrun death. None of us will cheat death. Every one of us will be, as King David said, I go the way of all the earth. We will lose it life. Because death is the consequence of sin. When sin is finished, It bringeth forth death. And death is fine. My children, these things I write unto you that you sin not. In a practical sense in life, the Bible is constantly encouraging encouraging us as God's people not to sin. It's constantly encouraging us to avoid the subject of practical sin. Even though sin is inherent in us, there are some sins we do not have to commit. When David looked out of his balcony and he saw Bathsheba bathing herself, he did not have to follow with what he thought. Solomon married 300, 700 wives and 300 concubines. He did not have to follow after what he thought. The Bible lays out for us in all of these men that sin is a dreadful thing. If you take the life of Samson that we looked at, Samson was the strong man of Israel, and yet we saw in Samson's life, and you can even see in the life of people around us, that sin feeds on power. When people are given a lot of power, a lot of authority. They have a tendency to become exceedingly sinful. Think about the politicians in America today who think, They are answerable to nobody. These politicians sit up there in their lofty places and they write laws that they themselves do not even follow. But there's a reason that in some places of politics and in some places of high positions that some people are the most wicked up there. Because if you've ever been to a swamp, the scum usually rises to the top. Sin feeds on power. It did in Samson's life. And it did in Solomon's life. Sin flourishes in isolation. We saw that in Samson. Samson would oftentimes find himself by himself away from his parents. David should have been with his men as a king, leading them in the battle. Instead, he was by himself, locked in his house, viewing things he should not have viewed. Adam himself, when he was by himself, should have consulted God when God said, in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. He should have consulted God and said, what do you mean by that? Sin flourishes in isolation when you're by yourself. One of the things that's been a problem during this COVID lockdown thing is that multitudes of people have been forced to stay home with just themselves. And a lot of them have found out they don't like what they found. It's an interesting thing that when you have society and when you have community, people are able to kind of be something other than who they are sometimes in society and something other than who they truly are in community. Sometimes we're forced to be that. Sometimes we're forced in community or society to kind of behave ourselves act a little different than we would if we were at home. But then you get home by yourself and you kind of sometimes don't like what you see. You don't like what you're isolated with. And especially if you have a generation like you have now that have no concept or no idea what a true God is. And they have nothing to turn to and nothing to look at at, in times of oppression and in times of sorrow, you get what we've got today. People who only look at themselves realize they have something very depressing to look at. We were never created to look at ourselves. We were created to look at God. Our life was to be lived. Discipleship In our life is one person putting Jesus Christ as the mark and pressing toward it. That's what true discipleship is. Solomon's case and David's case and all of them's case, sin was smarter than they were. It outsmarted Solomon, the wisest man. It outsmarted Adam, the first man. It outsmarted Noah, a man whom God restarted the earth with. You would have thought, hey, here's an individual. If anybody ever needed a fresh start, if anybody ever wanted a fresh start, if anybody ever wanted a new beginning, Noah had it. I want to get out of where I'm at. I want to go somewhere else. I want to have a new start. I want to start all over. Noah had it. Didn't make a difference. Because the problem that Noah had was not only he had a new start, but he had an old self. And anytime you go anywhere to get away from what you've got, you can't get away from self. Sin, find out, wants you to trust your own wisdom. It wants you to reason through something. And this is why it's so, so hard to have a reasonable debate in the public square. Is that people don't want to look at right and wrong. They want to look at I feel. I think. Oh, well, I think it's this way. I feel it's this way. You know, it really doesn't matter. Something that's right in front of you needs to be observed as it is take this issue of of people opposing politicians on the basis of abortion. This topic of abortion is is a hot topic. I'm surprised. What amazes and saddens me is not that it's a hot topic in the world, but that it's a hot topic in the church. I've, I've lived long enough to realize that there are some people in the church, I never thought you'd vote that way. Frankly. Should we all vote like you? No, absolutely not. But you all should be voting for truth and righteousness. And the issue of, of a woman's reproductive rights is always at the base of this. Oh, you're, you're just against me having, having control over my body. I'm not against you having control over your body. You have control over your body. You have the choice whether or not You want to fornicate with somebody. That's up to you. What you don't have the right to do is have control over somebody else, which that body in your body is not your body. It's somebody else. And you don't have the right to murder somebody just because you don't like them. Just because they're an inconvenience to you. Just because you made a mistake doesn't give you the right to murder somebody just because you don't like them. That's my argument. Hitler had no right to murder the Jews because he didn't like them. He didn't have any right to murder people who were his political enemies just because he didn't like them. And you don't have any right to harm, hurt, or kill somebody just because you don't like them. And that's where the whole debate goes off the rails. People don't have the sense and the ability to look at that situation that way. And so the argument that's often arisen like that, well, a young girl should not have to worry about uh, taking care of a child when she's trying to uh, uh, study for a math test. If she had been at home studying for her math test, instead of out practicing biology, she wouldn't have to worry about raising a child. See how simple that is? But people don't look at it that way. Sin Will outsmart you and it will wear you down every time you look at it by saying, I think or I feel. Because see, sin wants you to underestimate small compromises. A little step here and a little step there. A little compromise here and a little compromise there. We're all guilty of that. We know we're all guilty of small compromises here and there. The Bible is full of men who had just a little compromise here and just a little compromise there. And yet the adage about human beings is so true. Those who will not learn from history are doomed to repeat the effects of it. I believe it's Winston Churchill that said that. I'd like to go one step further. And it's not that men who don't learn from history are doomed to repeat the effects of it, but men don't learn from history. It's not that they won't learn. In many cases, they just don't learn. It doesn't mean anything to them. Those of you that think that a little compromise with our government now on this thing about masks and mandates is just a little thing for right now, you've not read a history book. You've not read the Bible. It doesn't even have to you don't even, just forget about history. Read the Bible. See what happened in the Bible when people started compromising. Things didn't get better for them. They all got worse. Because see, sin uh, feeds on power. Back to that first one that we started talking about to begin with. And the more power you give somebody, the more power they take. And it wants you to underestimate Small compromises, And we've seen this down in church history. We've made this point before, and we'll make it again. I like, you know, as Elder Sonny Powell used to say, uh, if I've got a weapon that works, I'm not going to throw it down until I find one better. And I've got a weapon that works. There used to be a time in church history where there were no musical instruments in church history. It was all a cappella from the time of Christ up until about the year 666. Then our churches started bringing in pianos. A slight compromise, right? No harm done. It's just one instrument. And I've even had people tell me, "Yeah, we've got it. We've got this. But we don't have a drum and we don't have a guitar. And we don't have all that electrical uh, electronic music of the devil. We don't have that. We've just got this." And you don't realize there was a time when we just didn't even have that. But here's how it worked out. Here's how it worked out in human history. You can go back, you can look at this. This is a record in many of the logs of many churches. There was a time where they had no pianos. Then somebody wanted to put a piano in. Church split. Half the church said, no, we don't need a piano. There are the other church, the other half of the church said we do need a piano, and boom, the church splits. A few years down the road, <clears throat> this church that wanted to tolerate a piano then was asked to tolerate an organ. And the people who had the piano said, we don't need an organ. And the people who who wanted the organ said, what's wrong with the piano? What's wrong with an organ? Let's have both. And so the church split again. And then you had people with just a piano. Now you got people with pianos and organs. It was just a slight compromise to start with. Where are we at now? Are we at just pianos and organs now? Or were we at now the place where you have full-blown rock concerts in the place of Sunday morning worship? I get ads all over Facebook now wanting to sell me a church skin. Now, you may ask yourself, what in the world are you talking about? you ever seen these cars that go up and down the street and they got a decal on them all the way around? It's some sort of advertisement of a product. That's not a painting. That's a sticker is what that is. That's a, 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 it's a skin or, or a sticker they put on this car. They've not painted it. Well, they've got people now who'll come in and they'll put this giant skin up here on the back of your wall and around everything. Something flashy, something showy, something modern to attract people to your service in addition to your smoke screens and your blinking lights and the rock band and the dance performance and the dance troupe and everything now that's been added because of a what? Slight compromise and deviation. Where are we at now? In the middle of a mess where people really don't know. They don't know what true church is about. Y'all been to the beach, right? Some of you have been to the beach. Some of you have been out in the ocean or in the gulf, wherever you're at. It's like those waves that beat on you, crash on you, knock you down. Some of you do, some of you don't. But all of you know that you can stand out there in that water with your back to the wave and you try and resist against it and you, maybe you're playing with your child or you're just having a good time. And you notice that when you get done playing in the Gulf, if you're not careful, you might be 20 feet from where you started, because those waves, those waves don't come directly into the shore. Have y'all ever noticed that? They don't come straight in at the shore. They come at diagonal lines at the shore, so they're pushing everything away from where it started. And you know the Bible tells us that we're to be uh, not as children. Tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. And if you're not careful, standing there in front of your hotel or your condo or whatever place you're living in, to keep an eye on where you started, you're going to wind up way on down the line, way far away, further away than you ever thought. Take two ships. Take two ships, two boats, two vessels that start off in the water. And one has a compass, and it sets straight ahead. Take the second one and tick it just a little bit. I mean, it, they ain't got to be too far off. Don't put it at a 90 degree. Put it just a little, little one or two degrees away from where you started. Now, here, they're really close. Here, they're sitting at the same dock. But by the time they get started, and this one other continues in that same line, By the time it ends up, it's going to be way over here, way away from where it should have been because of tiny compromises. Just a little place. And that's because not only does sin want you, uh, to negate small compromises, sin is very beautiful and can woo you. As it did David, as it did Samson, as it did Solomon. Sin is very beautiful in the fact that it sometimes convinces you that this is the way to go. As it did to Abraham. When he and Sarai said, God has not given us a child, we'll use Hagar. We'll go in like that. He says, my little children, these things... Right eye unto you that you sin not. Because the truth is, if you want to seek sin, you can find it. If you really want to seek sin, I guarantee you, you can find it. I guarantee you the devil will make a way for you to find sin if you're looking for it. But let's notice the remainder of this chapter, this verse. My little children, these things write I unto you, that you sin not, and if any man sin. Does this verse apply to anybody in here? If any man sin. I'd like for you to know, to, to contemplate this, that I don't think the Apostle John is saying that this is a maybe or a maybe not thing. Now, from a practical standpoint, sure. You don't always have to sin, you don't have to say the things that you do, you don't have to go to the places that you go to, and you don't have to commit the acts that you commit. But inside you, there's something that will fight you till you die. And so keep in mind that in the Bible, there are uh, ifs of consequence. In other words, if you do this, that will happen. The Lord says in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 19, If you be willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured with the sword. That's an if of consequence. If you do this, that will happen. If you do something else, something else will happen. But there are also ifs of conclusion. As in, uh, the teacher says, If 2 plus 2 is 4, then what is 3 plus 1? That's not an if of Possibility. It's an if of certainty. Since any man sins, we have an advocate. We have someone that stands in our place on our side. The Bible here says that if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. That's probably one of the greatest verses ever to be written. The Apostle Peter would write and remind us to be sober, be vigilant. For your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, goeth about seeking whom he may devour. The devil has never been on your side. The devil has never been on anybody's side but himself. And he is not your advocate. He's your adversary. He's against you. He's against everything about you. And the closer you try and get to Christ, the harder he tries to ruin your life. That's just a fact. Uh, the more high of a prominent position you have in God's people's eyes, the more he tries to bring that down. We have an advocate with the Father the Lord, Jesus Christ, the righteous. You notice here, he doesn't say, if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, our forefathers. He doesn't say that we have an advocate with the Father, your baptism, your belief, your confession. Uh, There is a fellowship with you and God. That can be disturbed by sin. There is a fellowship, a communion with the Lord that can be disturbed by the commission of sin in our life. David experienced that. David experienced the break of fellowship and communion with the Lord when he sinned with Bathsheba, and therefore he wrote in Psalm 51, Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. He did not say restore unto me my salvation. He said restore unto me joy of thy salvation. What we have belongs to God. It came from God. And it was given to you to enjoy in this life. And that fellowship can be broken through sinful disobedience and it can be restored through true penitence. But the relationship that we have with God was never restored through our repentance, our belief, or our baptism. The relationship that we have with God was secured one way and one way only. And Jesus Christ Himself said, no man can come unto the Father except by Me. That did not mean that He's out here holding everybody's hand and trying to drag them there. That meant that He was going to go to God for us by Himself. We don't get to God any other way than by Jesus Christ then by His perfect sacrifice, by His perfect obedience, we only get to God by Christ. And the only reason that we'll see the face of God in peace for all eternity is because of the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ the righteous. Think about this. As we've tried to consider these men uh, in the Old Testament, that indeed they may have been good men, but they were not God, they were not God themselves, that Jesus was. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 45. Let's notice this. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 45 says, And so it is written, The first man, Adam, was made a living soul. Uh, That's Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, where that's recorded. That when God created man, created him of the dust of the earth, Breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. But notice what it says here. It says the first man was made a living soul. The last Adam was made a quickened spirit. Do you notice he calls him the first Adam and the last Adam? Why is that? Because when Adam was created, Adam was created as the federal head of the human race. That what Adam did... In obeying or disobeying God's command, passed on to the whole human race because He was their representative. When Adam sinned, they became sinners in Him. He said, "Well, that's not fair. I didn't sin." Yes, but when our president declares war against some foreign nation because he is the president of the United States, you're just as much at war with that nation as if you're there yourself. He you said, "Well, that's not fair." Well, you tell them that when they come over here and start blowing up our buildings because they don't like the fact we're over there blowing up their buildings. Just tell them, I didn't do that. It doesn't work that way, does it? When this mob marched through Portland and Seattle last year, burning, or two years ago, burning the cities down. Remember that? We're all, uh, we're all angry that uh, a, a police officer shot another individual. We're going to burn the city down. There's videos all over Facebook of these people standing in their houses as this burn, loot, and murder, this BLM mob comes down the streets throwing rocks in everybody's window. And here they are standing at the window. We're on your side. We believe in you. Stop throwing rocks in our house. And they didn't listen because they didn't care. Sin, when it came into the human race, didn't listen and didn't care. It passed upon every one of us. When Jesus Christ Himself came, He came as the representative of a family chosen out of the human race. He came as a representative of God's elect people. And what He did was not made optional to the whole human race. What He did was passed on to the elect family of God. Let me give you an example of this, and this is a beautiful example. And a lot of people, a lot of people can't tell the story, but this is a true story. So we were talking the other day at work, and uh, they said there's a gentleman. Uh, my boss said there's a gentleman at his church. A very good guy. The man is blind in one eye. The way that he the, the reason he is blind in one eye is that years ago when his mother was uh, expecting him she was out in the backyard digging in the dirt playing in the dirt and there, there was some parasite in the ground in the dirt that got into a cut in her finger and it got into her bloodstream and it went to the womb and it went to his eye and there's there's some medical term this is an actual real medical term. He's blind from birth because of something his mother did. Sound familiar? Every one of us are sinners from birth because of something our father Adam did. That's a reality, that is a fact. If you don't want to take Christ with the same logic that you take that you take Adam, you can't have either one. Because the same people who stand up and say, well, uh, Adam made you a sinner. Christ wants to save you. But it doesn't work. No, here's what happened. Adam sinned. You fell in Adam. Jesus Christ, the last Adam came. He was raised victorious and righteous. And you were made righteous in the sight of God because of the last Adam, Jesus Christ. If any man sinned, there's an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous, who came and died for you. In Noah's life, Noah was a man that says, uh, what was what was the good thing we found out about Noah? But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. He has found something. He's found favor in the eyes of the Lord. But when Christ came, it didn't say that Christ found favor, found grace in the eyes of the Lord. What did it say? In John 1.17 it says, but the law came by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was the personification of grace. He was not offering grace. He didn't have grace in measure like you and I have. He was grace. It was the very fact that He left eternity and heaven's pure world and descended down to this low ground of sin and sorrow. That was grace in and of itself. A man who'd done no wrong, suffered the greatest, in this world. That is the very backbone. Of Christianity. That someone. Who was the most innocent. Suffered the greatest. He'd never done anything wrong. And yet he suffered. The height. Of man's judgment. He suffered the height. Of of man's persecution, He suffered the worst that man could put upon Him. He did not deserve it. You and I deserve that. You and I deserve to be completely cut off from God. And yet He stood in our place, in our room, and in our state. And instead of us being nailed to that cross, He was nailed to that cross. Take Abraham. Abraham Abraham was called the friend of God. Well, I'd like to be called the friend of God. But you remember James writes in his little epistle and he says, uh, the adulterers and the adulteresses, know ye not that friendship with the world is enmity against God? Whosoever will be the friend of the world will be the enemy of God you ever tried to be the friend of the world? Sometimes. Uh, sometimes we're, we're afraid to stand up for what we believe in. Afraid of who we might offend. People in our family. People in our church. People at work. Sometimes we're afraid to really take a stand for what is right, no matter how little it is. And here's an interesting thing. Um, There's always there's always a rage about the issue of, say, long hair in the church. Everybody wants the preacher to solve that question for them. You ever notice this? Preacher, how long is too long? How short is too short? You know, what's it supposed to be? Here's an idea. Why don't you just read what the Bible says? Why don't we just take what the Bible says? Here's why we don't take the Bible for what it says, because we're afraid it's going to say something we disagree with. We want the preacher to come along and say, well, that was a first century thing, and in the original Greek it meant this, that, or the other, and you got to take the hypothetical, of the hypodonus and you got to go this way with it and turn around backwards on the fidget widget and do this, that, and the other. What we ought to do is just read what the Bible says. But we don't do that, do we? You say people are not going to go men are not going to go to hell for having long hair. Probably not. But they might go to hell for being disobedient. Does that make sense? Now I'm not you know I'm an old Baptist. Talk about going to hell doesn't mean you're either or not. It just means there's a reason Christ died on the cross. It was either for sin or it wasn't. And what I think is either sinful or not. Oh, well, I, I just feel... I just believe... That's not the issue. The issue is what God's Word says. Oh, you're always just against something. Well, there have been a few times I needed a rest, so I leaned against the fence and against the wall and against the chair. So if i got to lean against something... Maybe that's what we need to do. Um, Abraham was called the friend of God. There's a lot of times that that human beings have tried to be the friend of the world instead of the friend of God. That's just the fact. That's just the way it is. If we didn't have Jesus Christ, our advocate, standing between us and God, being a complete friend of God, where would we be? And... You know, here's an interesting thing. He says, if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Abraham the righteous. No, that's not what that text says. Uh, Even though there's a multitude of people out here that believe that if you're a Jewish person, you're just the chosen of God and you're going to heaven. And that's not what the scriptures say. The scripture doesn't say, if you're Abraham's seed, then are you Christ's. In Galatians 3.29, it says, if you're Christ's, then are you Abraham's seed and children of promise. Have you ever noticed when you try and talk about the doctrine of election with somebody um, that they're okay with the Jews being the chosen people of God. How many times have y'all heard that? Oh, they're the chosen people of God. If you've not heard them, they're chosen of God. The, the world around us is okay with the Jews being chosen of God. When you bring it over here and say, no, that applies to the Gentiles also. Well, oh, that's not fair. You mean, you mean God is going to choose some of the Gentiles and not all of them? That's not fair. Are we talking about fairs? Circuses or carnivals here? Have you ever noticed how it's fair in their mind for the Jews to be the chosen people, but not the Gentiles? And yet I'm going to stand here and tell you that it's not the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles whom He has chosen. People not all of the human race, but out of every race. Not all of the human race, but out of every nation and kindred and tribe and tongue and people. If you belong to Christ, then are you Abrahams and children of the promise. any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father. David was called a man after God's own heart. And we showed you that David didn't always do what God wanted him to do, did he? Uh, Jesus makes the comment about himself in John 8, 29. He said, I do always those things which please the Father. Well, that's great. That is a wonderful statement. He says, I do always those things which please the Father the Father. heard a man say one time from the pulpit, not a Primitive Baptist, praise the Lord, but I heard a man say from the pulpit one time that the reason Jesus Christ did not respond to his accusers when he was before Pilate and before Herod was that he had the thought in himself well maybe I have done something wrong and maybe I do deserve this. I don't know how, how more anti-Christian you can get than that idiotic statement right there. Jesus kept his mouth shut, not because he thought he'd done something wrong, but because he knew he'd done nothing wrong, and if he'd have said anything in his own defense, they couldn't have stopped him. So he kept his mouth shut for your sake. He said out of his own lips, I do always those things which please my Father. That's why we have an advocate through Christ, because everything he does pleases God. Remember Samson. Samson was strong in his own might, wasn't he? The Bible reminds us in Ephesians 6, verse 10 be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. People have a pride problem, don't they? Do you think people have a pride problem? If you don't think people have a pride problem, you need to turn on college football on Saturday morning. And you need to listen to all the pundits and all the sports talks and all the talking heads talk about how great this team is and how great that player is and how great this person is and they're going to lose by this much and they're going to lose by that much and they're going to do this and they're going to do that. And And there's a reason they play the games. Because last Saturday, all the college world was saying one team was going to do this and one team was going to do that and by the end of the game, they were all eating crows if they would admit to it. People have a pride problem. They think they know it all. They think they've got all the answers. I'll just study enough, go to enough schooling, blah, 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 blah. And the Bible says, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His mind. Solomon was the wisest man, but he he wasn't wise enough. And that's why the Bible says in, in uh, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1 and verse 30, concerning the Lord Jesus Christ that who has made unto us all wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, as it is written, He that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. There's only one thing that we have to glory in. The finished work of Jesus Christ. And there in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, the very end of verse 29, Paul writes and says, God has chosen the weak things of this world to confound the mighty. He's chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. He's done all this that no flesh should glory in His presence. Don't you hear people say, well, I can't wait to get to heaven and meet the 250,000 souls I led to Jesus. I can't wait to get to heaven to get that great crown that I'm going to get. Because of all my obedience. I believe the Bible says that any crown that is given in the book of Revelation is cast at the feet of Christ. I believe that's what it says, right? There'll be no hierarchy in heaven. There'll be no class system, no caste system in heaven. It'll be a dictatorship. There'll be one that sits on the throne and there'll be none like him. And that'll be a good dictatorship. Because every decision he's ever made will be the right decision. And Paul writes that there in 1 Corinthians the reason that God has done this is that no flesh should glory in his presence. No flesh will ever come before God through the pearly gates and say, I was baptized when I was 13. I gave tithes of all that I possessed. Lord, I thank Thee that I'm not as other men. I'm not an extortioner. I'm not unjust. I'm not an adulterer. I'm not even as this publican. I fast twice in the week and give tithes of all I possess. Lord, lead me into heaven. And God will say, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. It's those in whom the Spirit of God dwells and has made them humble. It is those whom Christ died for on the cross. And the blood of Christ has washed away their sins. That we will all have to agree with what Paul said about himself in 1 Corinthians 15. I am that I am by the grace of God. If any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. If any man sin, since we are men and we are sinners... Our advocate with the Father will not be our baptism. Our advocate with the Father will not be our tithes. Our advocate with the Father will not be the fact that we sang Amazing Grace every Sunday. And I agree with you. When it's to a different tune, I didn't, you know, that tune belongs where it is. You put that tune on something else, I get confused and all that. Crazy. It won't be anything that we've stacked up for ourselves. It'll only be one thing. Jesus Christ is the enemy. He is wiser. He is stronger. He is more beautiful. He is the strong man in Luke 7. Who not only bound the devil and hindered him from working, but he's also the strong man in Luke chapter did I say 7 or 11. Luke chapter 11. He's the strong man that also bound you. And He came into your house and born you again and wrecked you little play parties of this world and caused you to see the things of this life are nothing but dumb. But if you have to lose, He's a good person to lose to If you have to lose and be conquered, He is a great person to be conquered by. Because I'll leave you with this last thing, the book of Zechariah. I've been reading through Zechariah lately, and we may preach on it. But he talks about the prisoners of hope. It's one thing to be a prisoner in jail, it's one thing to be a prisoner in despair, but to be a prisoner of hope. Because if you're in the prison of despair or you're in a prison, if you're in a county prison, you've got to do what the judges tell you. You've got to do what the Policemen tell you you got to eat their food, you got to wear their clothes, right? You go in and out based on what they say. Now be a prisoner of hope. What do you get to eat when there's hope? Future, encouragement for tomorrow. What do you get to wear when there's hope? Better things tomorrow than there were today. If the judge and the lawyers and the, and the uh, Bayless. And the jail cell is a cell of hope. What is it? Is it confining? It is not. Paul goes, that's why Paul says in hope of eternal life, which God who cannot lie promised before the world began. It leads you to tomorrow. It makes your day brighter for tomorrow. Paul says, I am that I am of the grace of God. A proper biblical perspective is to keep ourselves sinners and keep Jesus the Savior. We hope the things that have been said have been... God bless the truth and pardon me any errors.